I was at the men's fuel event, and there was a car show, and there was breakfast food, and there was a Chicago White Sox baseball player, and, and so I show up, and there were honestly things about the event that were interesting to me, and some things promoted about the event that were not interesting to me. Uh, so I'm a big breakfast food guy, and so I, anytime you say that there's going to be good breakfast food, I'm immediately interested. So I show up, and there's a big tent with all of the food, and I hear somebody shouting out instructions, and they say in one of the lines are sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. I'm all in. You don't have to say anything else. I'm right there. I've got a sausage biscuit in my hand. Well, while I'm eating my sausage biscuit, I immediately become interested in where the coffee is. And so I want to go find out where they're serving the coffee. Um, I'm a sports guy. I watch sports all the time. If there weren't sports on TV, I probably wouldn't need a television. And so I'm very interested in the fact that Phil Umber was here and that we were going to get to hear from him because I'm a sports guy, so I was very interested in that. What I'm not very interested in is cars. So there's this big car show, and there's 100, 150 cars, and there are lots of guys there that are really interested in cars, really into their cars. I'm just not a car guy. And so you would have a really hard time getting me to be interested at all in cars. I didn't walk around the car show. I was more than happy being interested in my sausage biscuit and a Chicago White Sox player and coffee and just talking to some other guys over there. That's what I was interested in. I was not much interested in the cars. And we're all interested in different things. Now, let's imagine a hypothetical situation. Let's imagine that one of the guys that was there that is totally into his car, like has spent years and years and years building this car to turn it into a show car, and he's really proud of it. And he grabs me and he says, hey, Ferris, come with me. I want to show you my car. I might go with this guy, and I might stand there, and I might politely listen to him tell me all about his car. And he might tell me about how he found this part in a junkyard in Tacoma, Washington, and how many years it took him to restore the dashboard. And he might tell me about the engine. And I might stand there and nod and, and, and be polite, but really I'm politely disinterested. And I might even go so far to try to be polite and respectful to even ask a few questions to pretend as if I'm interested. But the truth would be, I wouldn't be very interested. I'm very disinterested in cars. As long as my car gets me from point A to point B, that's all I care about. Probably the next thing I'm most interested in when it comes to my car is whenever I take it to the mechanic, how much the bill is going to be. Beyond that, you'd have a very hard time getting, to me, getting me to be interested about cars. Remove cars from the hypothetical situation and insert Jesus. We have a very weird topic this weekend. Now, we're in a series called Unreachable with a question mark, having the hard conversations about Jesus. How do you have a helpful, effective conversation about Jesus with somebody that's just not interested in Jesus? It's a really weird topic. Essentially, we're, we're going to be talking about how, how do you talk to somebody about something that they're not interested in? At face value, it seems like the more, the more you try to talk to somebody about something they're not interested in, the more obnoxious you come across. If someone kept insisting that I spend more and more time talking to them about their car, at a certain point, I'd just be like, dude, get a clue. I don't care about your car. And so we're talking about talking to people about Jesus, and at some level, there are people that are disinterested that might just want to look at you and say, listen, I don't care. And that's a very frustrating scenario, you know, because there's, what do you do with that? If someone is just politely disinterested, they're not like against you, they, they're okay with you being a Christian, they're okay with your relationship with Jesus, they just aren't very interested in it at all. And so there's not a whole lot to work with there. I would rather somebody be angry with me, somebody think I'm crazy for being a Christian, because at least we have something to talk about. But what do you do with somebody that just seems to be 
politely disinterested. All right, so pull out, pull out your notes. I want to start with something that should be very fundamental and very obvious, and it is this. Disinterested people are disinterested because, you ready? They're not interested. So here I am, Captain Obvious, starting with something that should be so obvious to all of us. Disinterested people are just not interested. You might want to have a conversation with them about Jesus. They don't want to have the conversation with you. So what do you do? Well, the question to ask to start off is this. Why? Why is somebody that I want to talk to disinterested in Jesus? What are some possible reasons that they would be disinterested? Because for those of us that have come to know Jesus in a real way, we would say Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, that he has transformed my life, he changes my today, he changes my eternity, that there is nothing more important in my life than Jesus. He has completely, radically, from the inside out, transformed my life. And so I think Jesus is the most important thing in the world to talk about, and here is someone over here that just isn't interested. Why? What are some possible reasons that somebody would be disinterested in Jesus? Well, here are two possibilities. There might be more, but let me give you two. Uh, the first one, once again, really obvious. It's possible that we would be disinterested in Jesus because we simply haven't heard. We just don't have the information necessary to know Jesus. And we all have to kind of slow down a little bit and be careful. I think a lot of times we assume a certain amount of knowledge that a lot of people just don't have. We are, we are now living in a culture where we can, no longer, we can no longer claim that we are primarily a Judeo-Christian culture. We, cannot, we can no longer assume that the vast majority of the people around us have basic information about the Bible, that they understand on a very basic level the fundamentals about who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did and why it matters. And so we have to be careful that we don't run past something that's really obvious, and it may be someone that you know and care about, a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, might be disinterested in Jesus for no other reason than they just haven't heard. It might go no deeper than that. You know, I was, I was in the, a car uh, with uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine, and I'm going to keep all of my personal illustrations very ambiguous because it's odd for me uh, to share personal stories about people that are currently in my life very specifically from a stage in front of thousands of people. Okay, so I'm taking people out of my real life and talking about them very ambiguously. So I'm in the car with somebody, um, and I know their family. I know how they were raised, and I'm... I don't know how we got on the topic. I guess it was around Easter, but we were talking about Easter. And I realized in this conversation that this person had no idea what Easter was. And I was shocked to find that out because I know her. I know her family. Legitimately, she did not know that Easter was a celebration about the resurrection of Jesus. The only thing she knew about Easter was that Christians put on nicer clothes on that day and lots more Christians than normal go to church on that weekend and that the Easter bunny brings candy in a basket to the house. And when I'm having this conversation, at this point, this, this woman is like 20 years old. She, it's not that she's dumb. She just didn't know. And you know why she didn't know? Because I think there was a lot of people in her life assuming that she knew. And so she just never heard the basics about Jesus the resurrection, and why it matters. Now, in Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it this way. 
He's talking about Jesus and knowing this Jesus and responding to Jesus in a way that it makes a difference in our everyday lives. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Let me just pause there and say, even if you don't understand what this being saved from is yet, it starts to become very obvious that Jesus is a game changer and that he'll save us from something, that there's something really good going on here that's offered to humanity through the person and work of Jesus. And as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's the same Lord, is the Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. This all sounds really good to me. It's talking about being saved and not being put to shame and God's blessing being on me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now Paul with his logic. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? having the hard conversations about Jesus with people because unless they hear about Jesus, there's no way they could possibly have all of those things become a part of their life that Jesus offers. And so we have conversations with people about Jesus. That's one possibility they just haven't heard. They're disinterested uh, because they just haven't heard. They don't really know a lot. The second one is this. It's possible that we're disinterested in Jesus. We've heard, but we don't embrace it as good news. We've heard the basic information about Jesus. Maybe we heard it in church. Maybe some other Christian has told us about it. But we don't really embrace it as good news. We just don't think it's offering us much. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21 for this. This is talking about Jesus. And Jesus goes to a synagogue. It says he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So he's about to read some Old Testament prophetic scripture. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is an amazing moment. Jesus reading the scroll from Isaiah saying, this prophecy today is fulfilled in me. I, Jesus, have come to bring good news to humanity that the oppressed can be set free, that there can be forgiveness of sins, that you can be physically healed, that you can be set free from the bondage in your life, the things that define you and own you. I have come to to bring good news to people, to set them free. Today, in your sight, here I stand, the fulfillment of this. This is really good news. And it goes on to say, a little bit later, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus came to bring good news. Before we recognize that it's good news, we have to be honest enough about the bad news of humanity. Now, it's possible we don't em embrace 
things at Jesus and this as good news for three possible reasons. And for those three reasons, we're going to go to our main text for the weekend. It's Matthew chapter 13. And as you're turning there, if you have your Bible with you, uh, let me just say this. I, I resisted using this text for this message this weekend for this reason. It is a very, very familiar text to a lot of us. It's a parable that Jesus taught, and it is, it is quite possible that when we hear things from the Bible taught, that we've heard taught over and over and over again, that we kind of just check out. We roll our eyes in the back of our head, we slide into a mild coma, we start to take a nap, because we think to ourselves, I've heard this a thousand times. And so will you just, I plead with you, will you, will you promise me that you will engage for the next five or ten minutes and not let it just roll past you because you feel like this has been taught lots of times? Yes? All right, good. Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable that Jesus taught. It says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so Jesus had a habit of taking things that people knew in their everyday lives and using it as an illustration to teach them a spiritual reality. And so Jesus tells this story. And the disciples look at him and say, we don't get it. And so the conversation continues. And so picking this up, verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And I want you to listen to Jesus' response. And I want you to think about people that, are, that you know that are disinterested in Jesus and try to connect the two. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Let me pause there. Now, Jesus is pointing out that it's possible for you to hear, but not really hear. And to see, but not really grasp what it is that you're looking at. It is possible that, that there, there is this whole category of people that just don't fully get it. Like they, and it's not an intelligence thing. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual condition. There's something going on that is keeping them from embracing the good news as good news. 
Thus the parable. What would keep somebody from embracing the good news as good news and allowing it to transform their life? If Jesus, in fact, did come to bring freedom, to set us free, to give us a purpose for our lives, if, he really, if we really can forgive us of our sins, if we really can be set free from the things that define us, if Jesus really did come to bring good news, then what would keep us from embracing that? And so Jesus teaches this parable. And then he starts explaining it in verse 19. Okay, actually verse 18 says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So in your notes, it's the path. It's the path. Seeds thrown on the path. And we don't really fully understand the relevance Okay, you, you can tell me about Jesus, and you can tell me he forgives me of my sins, and you can tell me he's, he sets the captives free, and that he brings freedom to the oppressed, and you can tell me all these things, you can tell me Jesus is for the poor, you can tell me all of that stuff, I just don't get the relevance for my life. And if I don't understand the relevance for my life, then the evil one comes and just snatches it away, and it does nothing for me. It's not that some people are disinterested, they just ne- have never really fully understood the relevance and to really understand the relevance, it requires some honesty on our part. We like to do a lot of pretending. We like to pretend like everything is okay, like I've got life all together, and so we put up a certain front, and we pretend, and, we, and everything is good, right? We come to church. We put on nicer clothes. We put, we put on our perfume and our cologne so we smell nice. Our breath is fresh. Like We come and we present a certain thing, but if we could just peel back a few layers on our lives, you don't have to peel too many layers before you find some not-so-pretty things. And before we really grasp the relevance of what Jesus has come to accomplish in our lives, why it is relevant for you and me today, we have to be honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives and what is really going on on the inside of us. For some of us, as we gather this weekend, there are some of us that currently are sliding to a very dark place. You're on the road to addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography. It has not seen the light of day. You hide it. You're trying by your own willpower to kind of change the momentum of that, but you can't. And slowly you're starting to discover that this thing is starting to own you, but your pride will not allow you to bring it out into the light. And so you're sliding to a bad place, slowly becoming in bondage to this thing that you wish wasn't a part of your life, and to really understand the relevance of Jesus, you have to be honest about that. Jesus can set people free, but we have to be honest about the fact that we need to be set free. Some of us, it's, it's forgiveness issues and bitterness and anger. If a certain person's name is brought up or a certain circumstance that is very painful in your life, uh, you, you feel like you have been harmed or done wrong, or in fact, it is true, you have very significantly been harmed or done wrong, and there's anger and bitterness, and it owns you. Because every time you think about that person or every time you think about that circumstance, your blood pressure rises. You get angry. You can't control yourself. And the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God can give you the power to forgive and to restore relationships and to be healed from the inside out. For us to understand the relevance of the good news of Jesus, we first must be honest enough to to deal with the fact that you don't have to peel many layers off of us before you find some not-so-pretty things. So we're having care night 
to say out loud, look, we all need help. I need help in parenting. I need help with my finances. I need help in my relationships. I'm sliding towards addiction. I currently am addicted. I need Jesus to set me free, and I, I just need to come and get good training, and I need the power of Jesus in my life. I need the good news of Jesus to define who I am. We all need to understand the relevance of this. Then in verse 20, talks about the seed that falls among the rocks. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the one who hears the word at once, receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. You know, there's, there's, another, there's another category of people that would say, you know what, thanks but no thanks. I'm disinterested. But there was a time in their life they were interested but something happened. Now, I, I, no, another ambiguous story about someone in my life. Uh, this person claims to be an atheist. But as I talk to them, they talk about God in ways that betrays the fact that they're really not an atheist because they talk about God and his existence and the implications of it. And so it's really odd because this person wears the label atheist but doesn't talk like an atheist. And so it's for a while very perplexing to me. Like I didn't really know. Like, I don't even understand like, where you're coming from on some of this stuff. Then I find out that this person grew up as a pastor's kid and was immensely hurt growing up because of some of the decisions her, her dad had made and some of the bad things that had happened in the context of church. And there's so much pain there, undealt with pain, that she has just decided that it's easier to stiff-arm God and say, I'm not interested. It's a defense mechanism. It, it's, not that she, it's not that she's disinterested in God. It's that something happened, something happened that has become a major obstacle for her. And as we're engaging people in conversation, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, did we expect something different out of life? Like Jesus was, he didn't tiptoe through the tulips. He never promised us a perfect life. This world, while made by God and beautiful, is also severely broken and it is difficult and there will be pain and there will be trials and there is stuff that you and I face that quite honestly just stinks. And it's hurtful and painful and difficult. And when those things come our way, it's possible that we look at God and say, you're no God at all because this hurts too much. And if you really loved me and you really did have the power to do what you said you could do, then this pain wouldn't be in my life. And I want to say that is just a bad way to think about the universe. God never promised that he was going to make everything perfect for all of us. And it has nothing to do with whether or not he's able it's just not the way he chooses to run the universe. And this parable teaches that some of us will face difficult things, some of us will face pain, not just because life is hard. It is true, life brings some tough stuff our way, and that's just part of being human and being alive. But also, it is true that your faith in Jesus might very specifically bring very difficult things into your life. You might find out very quickly that you are not welcome in certain social circles because of your faith in Jesus. You might find out that you are on the outside of some very lucrative business deals because there are certain men that do not want to do business with you because of your faith in Jesus. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to deal with that. You're going to find out that people will say very hurtful things. 
People will be critical of you. People will make fun of you. People will mock you. You will lose some friendships. There will be difficulties in family systems because of your faith in Jesus. These are not easy things. These are painful things. And Jesus never promised that it was all going to be easy. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that would say, listen, I used to be interested. Some really painful, difficult things happened, and I'm just not interested anymore. And we have to care enough about people to discover that. Instead of just writing people off, ah, they're just disinterested. No, they're not just disinterested. There's a story there. There is pain there. And people need somebody in their life that cares enough to listen and help them reconnect with Jesus so that they can find healing and hope and restoration so that they can understand that Jesus has come to bring good news. And so we engage in these conversations. And then the last possibility here is this, the seed that falls among the thorns. And this is verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. I want to read that again because we live in the suburbs of Chicago where there's a lot of money. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Uh, this, is, this is a whole category of people. It could be moral people. It could be good people. You're just kind of going through life, and we're doing kind of what we were raised to do in American society. I'm raised to get good grades in school so that I can get to a good college, so that I can get a good career, so that I can make good money, so that I can have kids, so that they could do the same thing. And so the cycle goes, and it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. And if we're not careful, if we don't take a step back, what we find ourselves in is this whole cycle of meaninglessness, where we start, you know, you look around your house and you say, okay, uh, you know, I've got a 45-inch flat screen in my family room. You know what would be really nice? It'd be really nice if I could move that to the basement for the kids so that they have a place to play video games and get like a 60-inch screen in the family room. And so I work a little bit more and I save up the money so I buy that TV. And then the next thing is, well, these couches are eight years old. And so instead of cleaning them one more time, let's go ahead. You know what would be really nice? Like a leather sectional in the family room. And then when you do that, it's like, okay, you know what would be really cool? If I could change the colors in the family room, we could paint that, freshen it up. And the deck needs some new patio furniture. And and oh gosh, my countertops are Formica. That is so 1998. I must have stone in my kitchen, so now I need quartz or granite or something like that. And this is sneaky because none of those things are evil in and of themselves, but it is the deceitfulness of wealth because we spend our lives for these things and it's never enough. That is the deceitfulness of wealth. It's not bad to own things, but if we're not careful, the deceitfulness of wealth is that it eventually owns us. We serve it, we live for it, and we gotta be really careful. Now, so that I don't get any nasty emails. I have granite countertops in my house. I have three flat screen televisions in my house. Both of my vehicles have leather seats. I'm not dogging stuff 
I think you get what I'm saying. If we live our lives just in the busyness and we never step back and think about what we are doing and whether or not we are missing the things that are most important, it is very possible. Jesus said it this way. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What good is it if you pay thousands of dollars to get your kid on that travel team, spend all those hours and all that money for them to be able to make the varsity high school team so that they can run in certain circles and get a certain amount of accolades so that they can get into a certain college so that they can get a good career? So what? So they can continue the insanity with their kids? Now, once again, I'm not dogging athletics. I'm not saying college is bad. I'm just saying we have to be really careful that we don't live for those things. We need to insert some sanity back into the conversation. It is very possible that some people are disinterested in Jesus because no one has ever talked to them and had a conversation with them to get them to slow down and really think about what they're doing. Why am I here? What is the meaning for my life? How can I find forgiveness of sins? Is there really a heaven and a hell? Will I really answer to Jesus when I die? Like when we die, is there really a judgment? Do we really give an account for our lives to him? Is he really the savior of the world? These are way more important questions than which travel soccer team your kid is playing on. And we have to care enough to get to engage conversations with people to get them to slow down enough to contemplate these things. You know, once again, I, I have a guy, a guy in my life, uh, an acquaintance, and I look at his life, and he's just got it all together. Like, he's a good dad. He's got good kids. He keeps his, he's like, you know, it's like all his affairs seem to be in order. You know, he's super kind, really nice, doesn't know Jesus. And so it's a very frustrating relationship for me because I, I, like, I don't really know fully how to engage in this conversation, except I have to remind myself, one of the things I've reminded you is that you don't have to peel too many layers off before you find out that everything isn't grand in everybody's life. We're just really all good at pretending. And so as I write this and preach this, I'm trying to coach myself through some of my conversations too. But this person I'm referring to, he's just going through life. He's doing what he knows to do. He's a good dad. He's providing for his family. He's doing what Americans are taught to do. And in so doing, it is possible that he's forfeiting his soul. And I can't be okay with that. And neither can you. If you believe in Jesus, you cannot be okay with that. And so what are we going to do? Well, here are four tips. The first tip is found in Matthew chapter 7. And it is don't cast your pearls to pigs. It sounds very offensive. I'm not calling people pigs. It's a metaphor Jesus used. In context of what Jesus was teaching, this actually does you know, pack a little bit of a wallop here to make a point. But the, the underlying thought behind the metaphor works for us in, in this topic. Here's the verse. Don't give dogs what is sacred, and don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, if you take pearls, which are of great value, and you throw them at pigs, it is highly unlikely that the pig is going to pick up the pearl, look at it, recognize its worth, and thank you for sending the pearl his way. Instead, that pig will treat that pearl like any other rock that is tossed at him. He will just trample it underfoot. 
and might be mad at you for chucking something at them. Same thing when it comes to people in your sphere of influence who you have, you have tried to have conversations about Jesus because you care about them. And they're just not interested. They just keep stiff-arming you. Well, here, here is the tip. I'm not saying give up on that person. I'm not saying write that person off. I am saying at a certain point, you do need to recognize that there are other people in your sphere of influence who may be interested. So instead of just being fixated on this one person and just being frustrated about this one person, recognize that there are other people in your world that may really want to hear and be very interested in what you have to offer about the person of Jesus. And so have conversations with lots of people in your sphere of influence. Don't give up on this person, which takes us to tip number two. Don't talk to your neighbor about God without talking to God about your neighbor. Pithy, a little bit cheesy, but true. We need to understand our role in relation to the role of the Holy Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit. We worship a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity. There is a Holy Spirit. We are not him. We have a role. He has a role. Our role when it comes to evangelism, which is what this series is all about, is primarily two things. Engage people in conversation to tell people about Jesus and to pray for people. Those are our two primary responsibilities. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens people's spiritual eyes. The Holy Spirit is the one that softens people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people of their sin. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps people understand who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us understand Scripture when we read it. The Holy Spirit has a role in this. We have our role. The Holy Spirit has his role. We work in conjunction with the Spirit of God to see people's lives transformed for the glory of Jesus. And so we pray for people. Paul, referring to Epaphras, which is uh, one of his co-workers, in Colossians says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He always is wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Paul's saying, look, Epaphras prays for you guys a lot, and Epaphras is praying for you, and it accomplishes something in your life. And that's what I want to suggest to you that you praying for people accomplishes something in people's lives that you could never accomplish on your best day by yourself. The Spirit of God. All right, last two tips. Do continue to discover and respect where someone is coming from. It's the old, God gave you one mouth and two ears. Use them in proportion. Listen to people. Care enough to really understand where they're coming from really get them to tell their story, do less talking, do more listening. This is a difficult one for some of us. And then the last one, do continue to invest, inform, and invite. Those of you that have been around Christ Community Church the longest are the, the ones that will be quickest to be like, really? Invest, inform, invite, again, invest, inform, invite. Belonging, growing, serving, reaching, invest, inform, invite. Belonging, growing, serving, reaching, invest, inform, invite. Why do you pastors keep getting up on the stage and talking to us about belonging, growing, serving, reaching, invest, inform, invite? We keep talking about these things because they are the fundamentals, they are the basics of what makes up a vibrant, Jesus-honoring, growing church that is actually accomplishing the Great Commission. Belonging, growing, serving, reaching, the marks of a disciple, and invest, inform, invite is our way of talking about what we've been talking about in this whole series. 
And the reason we keep using these words and keep talking about these things is that it's just like when, when we talk about like reading our Bibles daily and praying daily. I read my Bible daily, pray daily. You know what the reality is? Most of us don't read our Bible daily and pray daily. So we keep talking about it because we're not perfect at these things, but we want to keep maturing as a congregation and getting better and better and better at these things. So invest, inform, invite. Invest in relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Do not allow your world to get so small that the only people you know are other believers. Do not let your world get so small. And listen, I'm a pastor. I am so prone to that that I'm kind of preaching at myself right now. Invest in relationships. Inform people. You must open your mouth and engage in conversations about Jesus. We have got to speak up. It doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be preachy. It could be, that's why we're talking about conversations here. Conversations are very natural. We have them all the time. Just talk about Jesus. And then invite. Invite people to church. Invite, invite, invite. There, there's somebody in my life I've been inviting to church for four years. For four years, he has been declining me. And you know what I'm going to keep doing? I'm going to keep inviting because I care about him. Invest, inform, invite. Amen? Amen? All right. This time, I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastors at Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, and DeKalb. And here at St. Charles, let's all stand and we will close in prayer together. Before I pray for you, let me peddle two books because the author of these books will be with us next weekend. Uh, Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman. If you want a fresh perspective on how to have conversations with people about Jesus and to do it in a way that's not obnoxious, this is a great book. Next week, more specifically, Randy is going to be talking with us about how to have conversations about Jesus with family members, which could be very, very tricky waters, okay? So we're really grateful he's coming in. Uh, This is his new book called Bringing the Gospel Home. Both of these books by Randy Newman are available in our bookstore, and I just wanted to make you aware of it uh, because he'll be with us next weekend. And then finally, before I pray, the prayer team is available on both sides of the auditorium. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, feel free to stop by. They'd love to pray for you. All right, let me pray for you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray now that by your spirit, you would give us the conviction and the courage and the care required to actually put this stuff into play. God, soften our hearts. Help us to love people enough to want to help them connect with a Jesus that can change their lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness and transformation and being set free. God, we're grateful, and we want to share the good news with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.